Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now i was like what's happening right now (laughs) you look like you're seizing well i like put one in my mouth i was like "Ooh, that's She's sour. That's a spicy meat the ball. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. To episode 118 of I'm Sorry What the Podcast. I'm Christina. That's Amanda. Don't even don't that's Christina and I'm no, Amanda. Hey, you stop talking. It's not your turn. Well, oh my so god, you got a hanging bat. You added that. That's new. This is one of my Halloween decorations that She's I brought got a in. Skeleton of a hanging bat. I want it to be more her. like it's hanging in there, like a little, little nice. Case. Sorry. Anyway, welcome to the pot show. Welcome. <laughs> That's all I got. Hey, what's up? Hi, hi, you nern. I don't know why. Hey, That's like the second hey, time. Little I've mama. Hi, nern. Well, what's up, little mama? <laughs> oh gosh. Speaking of our party days. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, God. Well, what's up, little mama? <laughs> we all looked at him like, the fuck? <laughs> who, who are you? <laughs> you just transformed into some weirdo that needs to leave our party exactly. now. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. I don't think about stuff like that much anymore. I know, it's like <laughs> every now and then I'm like, oh that happened that that was real life (laughs) (laughs) oh what's up how you doing how you feeling um i'm all right i'm still a little phlegmy but i'm recovering you're better than when we talked in the middle of the week and you're like i think i'm dying (laughs) yeah they made me go get a covid test I was like, I don't have COVID, but fine. Omnicrom. Yeah, no, I don't have that. Um, But I, for whatever reason, I keep spiking fever. Oh, that tasted like raspberry and Sour Patch Kids. (laughs) 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 Sorry, that was, I didn't need to describe my burp to the world, but it's fine. Um, I know now you know <laughs> uh what was i talking about oh i kept like i'd spike a fever and then not spike a fever and then i'd go like a day and not have a fever and then the next day I'd be like god i feel like shit and i'd have a fever again and i'm like what the body if you could just cooperate that'd be cool hey stop it so stop. that's where but i'm but it's at. not covid no no, it's kinda, not. Kind of what happened to me when I had COVID was I had a fever, which is weird because I don't ever get fevers. Because mm-hmm. I had a fever one day and then it dropped off like that night. 
Um, and then a couple days later, I felt feverish. I didn't take my temperature. Yeah. But I kept getting the random like spikes of like, oh, I got the chills. And, and but I'm also like, sweating. Right. And it was like bone deep chill. Like I could not get warm. But my temperature only got to like 99.4. So it wasn't even like I was like. Fever. Fever. Running. See, well, and, and I, I run low. My like my normal body temperature runs in like the 97. So I guess a 99 temperature is equivalent to someone who runs at 98 is equivalent to like a hundred, but still I was like, this doesn't, but I would feel like when I'm running a 99.5 temperature, it felt like awful. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, I don't know. I'm, I'm usually like a 96.5, like I'm real low normally. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I, when I actually took my temperature and had a temperature, I was like, 101 and I was like I have never in my adult life been over a hundred (laughs) degrees dude I saw a tiktok and it said hey I had no idea and it was someone who's super anemic and she pulled her eyelid down like that and it's like what oh it's like yours yeah Yeah. because mine's like red and Yep, red, and you can see the blood vessels. Mine's like, like white, pale white. That's weird. Okay. Yeah. That's no, gross. it's it's thing. It's a thing. <laughs> how how are, I was like, I'm gonna check with Amanda to make sure it's the thing. It's yeah. a thing. <laughs> I am starting um, this week. I'm trying a new form of iron supplement that's natural that apparently your body absorbs better. So mm-hmm. hopefully that'll help. We'll see. It's like it sounds so gross it's a like pulverized beef liver but it's pill form yeah but it's Mm -hmm. it's basically like and you got to take a few of them but it's just you know more of a natural iron supplement than Mm -hmm. one where they're like you also need to take vitamin c so your body absorbs it otherwise you're just not going to take in any of the iron that the supplement is and your poop is just going to go rock hard yeah it's going to go rock hard and I, I've also been looking at like colon health things because I have issues with that as well. Welcome to my life here. Amanda, you know, Amanda's colon doesn't work. My nothing. It, I either can't or can't stop. So <laughs> we're gonna try to get me regular. Who's she? <laughs> oh fuck it, no. Do you think they get tired of listening to us complain about our bodies? Because here's the thing, though. Oh, I thought you were gonna say about poop. I'm like, here's the thing, though. We haven't talked about like actual poop in a while. It's true. So it's or due for a poop talk. So Mm -hmm. it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I'll stop now. I'm not gonna like describe any sort of texture or look to you guys. But I'm just saying, I would I would appreciate that. (laughs) Actually, if you did not. Oh shoot! So. You ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. You got right. a story? I mean, yeah. That's why oh, I'm good. here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I came. Yeah, that's why I'm, it's, it's eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and I'm awake. That's why. It's seven here. So shut your trap. Well, I'm, it's eight o'clock here. So the world does not end in the next hour. Just so you know. I don't know that that's how time zones work, but okay. Listen, <laughs> it might. Tell me your GD story. Um, I'm going to tell you about (laughs) the murder of Aaron Itura. You ever heard of it? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
early in the morning around one, going like around 1 30 a.m. Um, on October 3rd, 1994, uh, Janice Itero woke up to the screams of help from her son's girlfriend. So uh, she rushes out to the garage because, so they had built him, he was uh, 18 or 19. I think they had built him like a room out in the garage. Okay. And it was kind of like a makeshift, like just like a stud wall with some drywall and then his room. So it wasn't like it was like super secure or anything, but right. But it that was, way he had his own space and yeah. felt a little depend independent. Right. Um, so she rushes out to the garage and found him bleeding from what his girlfriend was saying was a gash on the head. There was like blood everywhere though. Um, so his girlfriend was freaking out, saying she didn't know what they did, but he's hurt and he's bleeding what they did okay yes so uh his mother frantically calls 911 and upon their arrival the first responders found 18 year old aaron injured in bed but still breathing uh he was bleeding profusely from the head and they immediately went to like administer care and then went oh fuck this is not a gash this is a bullet hole oh and she was unaware of this yes okay so paramedics rushed him to the hospital and then officers obviously began investigating like what the fuck happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, they quickly determined that someone had used a 38 caliber gun to shoot Aaron in the head. But although they were able to recover a piece of the bullet, the gun itself was nowhere to be found. Uh, there were no signs of a break-in and nothing of value had been taken. Plus Aaron had been shot in the head, but he wasn't alone in bed. His girlfriend was laying right next to him. Okay. Um which they thought was really odd that nothing had happened to her yeah. and it was just him shot in the head. So they first interview Aaron's mother who stated that evening was normal. She had last seen Aaron or uh, when Aaron had gone to his room the night before with his girlfriend. And it wasn't until 1.30 AM that anything out of the ordinary happened when she woke to his girlfriend screaming. Okay. So that was like the first sign of anything being weird. Yes. Was- the screaming and the already happened bullet hole. Right. So after a night in the hospital, Aaron's scan showed no brain activity and he was taken off life support. And two days after Aaron's shooting, the completed autopsy revealed that he had died from a single gunshot wound to the back of the head. Okay. Uh, the police investigation into a shooting basically officially turned into a homicide case. And they, uh, went to they interviewed his girlfriend and they brought her in for questioning um she stated the only thing out of the ordinary that night was she had answered the phone and an unknown woman had called the house to ask if aaron was home after receiving a yes she prompt the person promptly hung up so the girlfriend answered their house phone yes and asked if aaron was home somebody asked if aaron was home and it was a woman yeah Okay. And then she said yes, and then, like, went to get him, and they had hung up immediately. Okay, weird. Um, she and Aaron then went to bed, and when she, she woke up after hearing a loud bang very close to her head. Uh, and she saw two males with their faces covered with bandanas, who then immediately took off running. She didn't realize what happened to Aaron, only noticed the blood and panicked. And it was in the back of his head, so there was hair in the way and stuff. She didn't... Right. It was she just saw a like lot a, of blood. There's yeah. blood. I can't tell where it's coming from because it's all matted into the hair, I'm sure. Right. Okay. So they had tested her hands at the scene for gun residue. 
Uh, and when that, that came back as negative, she had no gun residue anywhere on her hands, they were able to immediately rule her out as a suspect. Right, as someone who physically did it herself. And same with the mother. Yeah. So the only two people in the house, I, well, they were younger siblings, but they weren't, you know. Yeah. Um. So police turned their investigation into looking more at Aaron and who he was as a person to see if there were any, if he had any enemies or anything like that. Um, and there was really only one part of his life where he could have created enemy enemies. So he was the oldest of five children and was known to be very kind and gentle. Um, he really, he looked after his younger sister, younger siblings a lot of the times because his mother worked two jobs to kind of support the family as a single mother. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an artist and, an, but he was also an activist who spoke out against gang violence in the community. Okay. So that would be. Yeah. He was very anti-gang and would work with young kids and try and get them out of gangs or get them into other activities to keep them out of gangs. Interesting. Okay. So they started looking into the anti-gang activism that he was doing and they thought that maybe he had made some dangerous enemies that way. Um, And he had been actually working often with the, another local activist, Mary Thompson, who was uh, a mother who was very well known in the um, like, anti-gang circles and in the gang circles because she would work with the gang task force with the police um her house was kind of a safe haven for kids who were like troubled kids who were trying to get out of gangs or trying to um stay out of gangs um and so they would it was like a hangout for these kids and um she would call the gang task force and give tips and kind of be like the kids would tell her something and she would tell the gang task force so the kids weren't snitching they're just talking and she would mm-hmm. overhear and or they would say something to her and she'd be like okay that's kind of weird right and she would call the gang task force and give okay. them tips uh she would talk at schools using the experience she had with her own son who was a bit of a troubled youth and had been in and out of gang activities when they had moved from different places Um, he had been in juvie and stuff like that so she used kind of her own son and her own experiences as a mother with a troubled youth to try and explain why you shouldn't be in gangs things like that she had asked Aaron who would take some of these troubled kids under his wing if he would do the same thing for her son Bo Flynn who was 16 years old Um, she wanted him wanted Aaron to help him stay on this right path. Uh, but however, you know, kind of keep him out of trouble basically. Right. But about three weeks before the shooting, they were hanging out and they encountered another group of teenagers that were part of a gang. And one of them had had a history with Flynn. So they started talking shit as 16 year olds are known to do. And Flynn, um, the 16 year old, pulled a knife and like tried to have an altercation that so, is, i just gotta say as a youth as that a was never a thing fucking youth <laughs> that i thought was normal but with the amount that in our stories these teenagers just pull knives on their siblings and parents and shit i'm like excuse what, me what is happening <laughs> maybe I, maybe i wasn't as dysfunctional as i thought i know <laughs> just an angsty teen i never wanted to murder someone with a knife jesus yeah jeez louise guys who am i um (laughs) so the cops somehow like showed up or broke up and aaron kind of stepped in front of Bo and was like no it was me and kind of took the fall for Bo 
at the scene. Okay. Um, trying to keep Bo out of trouble, basically. Um, okay. But they were both arrested. And then the cops kind of explained, you know, your story isn't really corroborating with the rest of the kids that we've talked to saying right. that you had the knife. It was Bo. And you need to look at this. I know what you're trying to do. Bo is 16. And yes, he can go to juvie. He'll probably end up going to juvie for this. But you're 18. And you will and be like you, charged as an adult. So And um, you're looking at assault with a deadly weapon on a minor. Yeah. And you're looking at prison time. So you really need to think what actually tell me what actually happened right so after that he did tell the police um like the real story about what actually happened and basically they told him that he would have to testify if he wanted to remain out of prison because he kind of lied and obstruction of justice and whatever right you're gonna have to be there and say this is actually what happened since originally that your story was not that Right. So he went to Mary and kind of had to tell him, tell her that, listen, I'm going to have to testify against Bo in this case. Um, and she was upset that he would betray her and be willing to testify against her son. Okay. No. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> go on. <laughs> and so this was all kind of a suspicious event because he was due to testify three days before he was shot. Or three days okay. after he was shot. And the so they started called Mary. So they started looking into it and they went and talked to Bo, whose story maintained that he was um, innocent. He didn't have anything to do with it. He wasn't there. He had an alibi. Um, they went and talked to Mary, who, again, they didn't have any evidence suggesting that they were involved in it at all. And especially like when other police in the police force were part of the gang task force were like she's there's no way mary had anything to do with it you know she's, she's anti-gang an anti she's na- yes so that lead kind of died out but then two teens the name um jim alstead and joseph brown started coming up in their investigation and it was they were hearing rumblings basically of them talking about how they killed aaron okay so these were another two teens that had spent a lot of time at Mary Thompson's house. But again, these teens all kind of congregated together and her house was kind of the hangout. So they were like, okay, we need to interview these two guys. So before they could even look for them, uh, Mary called the cops and said, she told police that not only had she heard the two boys were involved in Aaron's death, but they had actually come to her house the morning after the murder seeking refuge. And uh, she admitted to keeping that information from police, but claimed she had done so because she hadn't believed them at the time. Okay. So they were brought in for questioning. They both said they were, they didn't have anything to do with it. They didn't know anything about it. The police brought up taking a polygraph test and they took it and they failed it. And then they confessed. Okay. So they said that they'd done it because they were angry with Aaron for agreeing to testify against Flynn, who was like their friend. Right. Uh, They explained that they threw the gun into a river afterward and police were able to track it down somehow. Uh, They were both arrested in October and it seemed like the case was coming to a close. Like it was all tied up. We've got the people who did it. Okay. But 
They were wrong. He's wrong. No, not necessarily. Okay. You were misled. Aaron's mother received a call from Mary Thompson, who was close to the family and had been supporting them during this entire time. But during that specific phone call, Thompson had told Janice that Aaron would probably have never been killed if he had just kept his mouth shut. Bitch, what? And Aaron's mother was like, I'm sorry, what? That's Uh, fucking suspicious. That's weird. That's suspicious. (laughs) That's weird. So the cops she called the cops and were like hey can you just tell me if i'm wrong and saying are you gonna tell me that i'm wrong <laughs> Sorry. her sister came down in a her bubble sister was dude. A, bro her sister was a witch right the wicked witch of the east bro okay anyway sorry um look at me and tell me that i'm wrong <laughs> yes <laughs> grow up <laughs> yes okay so she reported it to the police the police were like nope that's super suspicious and really fucking weird especially when you consider all the other like ways that she was entangled in this and we just kind of wrote it off because she's a part of these teens lives and yada 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 but hmm, let's go back and just look at this a little bit closer she had herself a little army of guys that's what it was they called her back in for questioning, uh, intending to find out why she had kept kind of questioning why she had kept that information. Like she knows she had said, I did, I wrote it off, but they're like, mm, we need a little bit more explanation as to why you didn't report this immediately. Right. Although Thompson admitted to being angry at Aaron for working with prosecutors, police really had no evidence against her. And they were again, forced to let her go. Cause she really didn't she just maintained her story and basically said i don't have anything more for you uh, but they were not convinced of her innocence and they began to dig a little bit more deeply into her past and they discovered that she had a very troubled history so dun, dun, dun. thank you yeah. uh in 1970s cleveland she was a biker girl uh having gained respect by c- accusing a rival gang of rape and getting most of them arrested so then she was like part of this biker gang and was kind of, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how gangs work. I don't know how that works. Then she got married, was divorced, had a child, uh, and started making drugs, methamphetamines. Great. Uh, she was playing dirty about it, angered some of her business associates, and she got like into trouble with the police and became a police informant. And basically it was to keep herself from being killed by her. She had police protection then. Uh-huh. So after that kind of part of her life was over, she eventually moved to Eugene, Oregon, where this took place and gave up, kind of gave all the appearance of cleaning up her life. Okay. Um, other than her little shit of a son who kept getting into trouble. So, this, And this is the child that she she had when she was making meth right yeah you just said had a child making yes <laughs> okay um so police started to question whether or not she had actually planned and ordered the murder of Aaron to protect her son and pay him back for betraying her by testifying so her anti-gang group turned into a gang just wait a minute okay so they began they tapped her phone in the hopes of getting more information and boy did they Woo! so while they initially believed Flynn was the gang leader, it became clear that it was actually Mary. 
So this whole time while she was being a gang activist, it wasn't an, after her son got in trouble. It was the whole time. Mm-hmm. She was basically running this gang of teenage boys. Yeah. I and mean, they would they would call her and be like, we robbed this liquor store. And she'd be like, oh yeah, how much money did you get? And like, where are you going to put it? And do you need me to hide it? And like having these conversations and was very motherly to them and very nurturing to them while talking about like these really awful crimes that they were doing it's like the the godmother yes (laughs) that's basically what it was so she would and then she would also orchestrate jobs and get like money off the top from them and stuff like that because she'd help them figure out how to plan them and how to get away from them and how to not get caught doing them and all of this was openly talked about on her phone calls so they had all of these on recordings so they brought it to the gang task force and they're like hey it's a gang they're a gang gang. (laughs) and she's actually the leader and they were like what the fuck like no she's not no she is no no she's not (laughs) um uh so they arrested some gang members hoping at least one of them would be willing to turn against thompson and they got their wish in exchange for immunity one gang member lisa spilled everything that she knew about thompson claiming that it was thompson who influenced the boys to kill aaron in order to protect her son okay she so much and that she so much as picked them up took them to the river told them to throw it in the river brought them home helped them clean up hide everything okay yeah so they were like yep arresting you and they arrested her wow so joseph richard brown pled guilty um of murder in december of 1994 and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison and then in Oregon, they have what's called, I think instead of like parole, they call, um, they call it a, a good time reduction. So basically okay. if you, you're well-behaved in jail, you get a percentage reduction off your sentence. Uh-huh. And I still think they go out on parole, but they also, right. so their sentences include these reductions in them. So he got a 10 years in prison with a 20% good time reduction. So he could get out in eight? Yeah, as long as he was well behaved and yes. causing any trouble. Right. Uh shortly after the shooter, James Roger Elstead, um, because Richard was kind of the lookout and or Joseph Richard was the lookout and James Roger was the shooter. He's the one who shot him, pled guilty of murder and was sentenced to 16 years in prison and was eligible for a 20% good time reduction. And I think it was because of how old they were. They were teenagers. They were under 18. Okay. Thompson was charged with aggravated homicide in February of 1995. She pled not guilty. Uh, The case went to trial in June of 1996. Evidence against Mary Thompson included statements the shooter made to police, tapes made by police of phone conversations, and a firsthand witness who testified that Mary Thompson encouraged the murder of Aaron. One witness also said that Thompson was uh, on the phone and excited when she gave the shooter the go-ahead to murder Aaron. Gross. Uh, A tape of a phone conversation was played in which Joseph Brown told Mary Thompson that he would not testify against her. And then Mary Thompson testified in her defense for two and a half hours. There was also like phone conversations where she used Aaron's death as like a threat where she was like, if you don't want to end up like Aaron, you're going to do this. Ugh, I don't yeah. like her. Mm-hmm. And she looks like a grandma. She's like a, it's gross. Um, like a later middle-aged woman. Just Yes. 
Yeah. Ugh. So after a six week trial, sorry. I'm boring myself. I got the No, don't don't worry. It's morning. I've been uh-huh. trying to shake them off too. <laughs> uh, after a six week trial, a jury convicted Mary Thompson of aggravated murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison without parole. However, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of howevers and buts in this case. <laughs> yeah. In April of 2000, the Oregon Court of Appeals overturned Mary Thompson's conviction for aggravated murder on the grounds that the juvenile court proceeding in which Aaron Itero was testifying did not qualify as a criminal proceeding because it was a juvenile court, not adult. So her aggravated murder in the case of like interrupting a court proceeding or something Uh was like the actual charge. And they were like, it wasn't a court proceeding because it was a juvenile court. So then they over is stupid. Like it was just like this tiny loophole that her defense attorneys found. And because it was a precedent, they had to overturn it. Yeah, that's dumb. So in December of 2000, she was resentenced for murder rather for just murder rather than aggravated murder. And her sentence was 25 years instead of life in prison. And then she was eligible for a 20% good time reduction. Okay. Uh, She was released in the summer of 2019 after serving 23 years. Okay. So she's out. Right. In September of 2000, this is just another fun fact. Bo Flynn was convicted for being a felon in possession of a handgun and for hindering prosecution in connection with another murder. The July 2000 murder of 18-year-old Casey Staffick in March of 2001, Flynn's friend Stephen Weevil was convicted of the murder and sentenced to life in prison. So he's still a winner. He's still just living his life in the best, most like clean-cut way you can. Mm-hmm. Great. And then in 2003, uh, so they had actually, Janice joined the state representative Betsy Close and Crime Victims United in submitting a House bill in an ongoing attempt to plug that loophole that got uh-huh. her out of and the aggravated murder cause. Janice is Aaron's mom? Yes. Yes, okay. Um, and so they had originally got it all the way up to the house and then it was shut down, like they shot the bill down. So then she joined another team and with another representative and Crime Victims United, and they're still working on trying to close that loophole. So it still hasn't been like adjusted I, to make sense. I couldn't find a... um definitive resolution definitive resolution on that but okay and that is the story interesting what a what a loop-de-loop i mean i saw it coming just because she was so like anti-gang and there was like a bunch of boys at her house i'm like Mm. it sounds like maybe is it anti-gang or (laughs) is it actually a gang (laughs) with an anti-gang cover yeah so that was good interesting thank you i had never heard of that i was listening to a uh nightline thing Um, on hulu while i was working gotcha because i ran out of podcast so i'm like i'll just turn on true crime documentaries on my phone and just listen to them and that episode just popped up and i was like this is fucking weird i'm gonna have to look into this and that's usually how i end up finding things is it's like i'm listening to some compilation or something on youtube and go oh i should look into that um also i'm gonna recommend because i wanted to do this guy but it's like a 10 part or not 10 part it's like a seven part episode or series on 
Netflix and I'm like I just it's too long it would be like a three episode thing for me and I just can't do it have you did you watch Monsters Inside the 24 Faces of Billy Milligan no I have not it's insane yeah it's a dude who's got DID and he murdered he raped people but it was okay one of his DID personalities okay and so Billy Milligan actually doesn't remember raping them or doing anything and it's just a crazy story and I mean it's just wild yeah and I would recommend watching that I am going to tell you the story of Jill Mayer so her last name it's the story of the murder of Jill Mayer just so we all know it's not a surprise ending by any (sighs) means um her last name is spelled m-e-a-g-h-e-r but i've looked it up a couple times and it's basically just mayor as in Mm -hmm. like you know m-e-y-e-r in our in our stretch of the woods i don't know hold on one second sorry oh no you're fine (laughs) (laughs) so jillian mckee McCone, McCone, I want to say McKeon, but it's not because the E is after the O, um, was born on October 30th, 1982. By the way, that is her maiden name. So just so we all are on the same page, it is Jill, the same girl. Mm-hmm. Um, in Drogheda, Drogheda, um, County Louth in Ireland. Okay. okay. To George and Edith McCone. The family moved to Perth, Australia when Jill was still a small child because her father had gotten a move, like had gotten a job there. So they just all packed up and moved to Perth Mm -hmm. from Ireland. I'm like, geez, that's a heck of a, just heck of a trip. Well, see you later. Yep. So the family moved to Perth and then in 1996, they ended up moving back to Ireland after his job finished there and this was when she was like 13, 14. Okay. Um, after his job finished there and she did all of her like high school, secondary school in Ireland. Um, she got a bachelor's degree in art. And <clears throat> excuse me. And after graduating, she got a job at RTE, which is an Irish national broadcasting service. Uh, that So she wanted to do she was very interested in like radio and all of that audio stuff, not necessarily being on it, but she was very interested in the whole of the community. Is this a uh, Netflix documentary? I don't think so. It didn't ever pop up as, okay. as anything when I was doing my research. Okay. But um, she also was dating a man named Tom Mayer, which I couldn't figure out if she met him like in high school or it didn't really matter from what I could tell I think it was college and in 2008 the two got married hence her name being Jill Mayer right um once they were married the two decided to move back to Australia because she loved it there when she was a kid she had really fond memories and you know why not so uh they moved back and they moved to sorry they moved to Melbourne and her parents had actually already moved back to Perth at this okay. point. She stayed and finished up her like schooling and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she was like, now I'm closer to my parents. Like it'll all be, it's a good move all around. 
uh, she got a job at the Australia Broadcasting Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, she had an administrative position, but would sometimes actually even go on air on 774 ABC Melbourne, which is okay. a radio station. Uh, everyone who worked with Jill said that she was a fantastic fantastic asset to the team she was very positive one of those people that like came in and just made your day better for working with them you know Mm -hmm. very happy um and so they would do social stuff all the time the people that worked there because they all became this big friend group and on friday september 21st of 2012 jill went with some co-workers to the brunswick green bar after work which is on uh sydney road it's like a main street mm-hmm. in uh, Melbourne. And so she went on to this bar with them to celebrate one of their coworkers' birthdays, I think, is what I had read. Okay. So they decided to kind of bar hop. So they also went to bar etiquette, which was on the same road. And at about 1.30, she, this is like when the bars were closing. At about 1.30, she was like, okay, well, I'm going to start walking home. She said goodbye to all of her coworkers. One of her other coworkers was walking out because he had called a cab. So mm-hmm. he was going out to get in his cab. And he was like, because her apartment was like, they said 900 meters away. So we're talking just like a few blocks down the road and she's at home. Right. So the coworker was like, hey, just hop in. We'll get you to your house and then I'll go on from there. And she's like, No, it's so close. It don't go out of your way because his way was the opposite direction. So mm-hmm. she was very like, Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I do it all the time. And she did. Her and her husband would walk from downtown to their apartment regularly. So it wasn't like a weird walk. Right. While she was walking, Jill called her brother Michael and they talked about their dad. Um, it didn't say what they talked about, just that they talked about their dad about something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Tom, her husband, uh, woke up to a message from Jill asking him to come and meet them out for drinks, but he had already fallen asleep because she was going out with her coworkers. So he just like had a normal night in whatever. Right. And so she, he woke up to this message and then realized that Jill wasn't home and it was just after 2 a.m. And she should have been home by now because it was like not even a 10 minute walk and the bars closed at 1.30. Right. Ooh, so no. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he tried calling her, no answer, sent her a bunch of texts, no answer. Uh, and he just kind of stayed up because he's like, maybe she just got caught up talking to her friends out. You know, like I, it's only right. been a half an hour. Like I will just see. So he stayed up for a bit, still had no reply. She never showed. And at 4am, he just got up and started walking the streets to try to find her to make sure she didn't get drunk and pass out somewhere or do something, you know, silly like that. Right. So he starts walking around the streets and he can't find her. There's no sign of her. It's like a straight walk and she's just not there. So at six, cause he walked around for like two hours trying to fight like in the alleys and around. Mm-hmm. So at six, he calls the police and reports her missing because he's like, I've looked, I have no idea. I haven't heard anything. There's no sign that she even was on the road on the way home. And, but remember she, so Now we're at this point where she said goodbye to her friends. This friend that got in the cab um, offered the cab ride. She said, no, that's okay. He got in, they drove away, and he saw her walking down towards her apartment. Mm -hmm. So first, 
they looked at her bank to see if anything was withdrawn. They were like, hey, maybe, maybe she got a hotel. Maybe she got pissed because he didn't respond to her when she was trying to, you know, get him to come out. So when, when he called, he had told his story and Tom started calling all of her work friends after this too. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're looking at the bank account. He's calling the friends. There's no sign of anything. They all said the same story. She said goodbye this and started walking to the apartment and the bank account has had no activity on it whatsoever since the last drink that she bought at the bar. Mm-hmm. So everybody's a little freaked out. They're thinking there's got to be something wrong because so where like else would she have gone? Disappeared. Yeah. Okay. Um. So Sunday, the 23rd, which was, this was Friday night. Well, early Saturday morning, I guess, technically that she went missing Saturday morning. She was reported missing and now we're at Sunday. Mm-hmm. So Sunday, the media and social media jumped on the case and started spreading the word and getting her face out there and pleading for information. Tom went on the news and was like, if you know where she is or Jill, if you're seeing this, like, mm-hmm. well, just let us know you're safe. I'm right. You know, if you don't want to see me right now, that's fine. Just let us know. And he was just very, distraught like clearly not okay one of the quotes from him is um hell it's just devastating because they asked how what he was going through with all of this Mm -hmm. he's like um hell it's just devastating but um yeah I'm just trying to push on hope that somebody saw something or that she'll just walk through the door Mm. poor thing I just felt I you could like feel it you know what I mean um then it he was asked, do you still think that'll happen? And his only response to that was, I have to. Mm -hmm. I have to think that she's just going to come back or something's going to come up. I can't just sit here, you know? Right. So the police officers obviously looked into Tom because Mm -hmm. he's the significant other. Um, And they went to their apartment and searched it. They looked through all of Tom's car things and at his work and there's absolutely no reason for them to think that she came home and anything happened there's no sign that he knows anything so he pretty quickly became not on the suspect list and they didn't totally rule him out but they definitely weren't focusing on him because they were like obviously things happen and it could be that but there's no obvious reason to believe he did it Mm -hmm. Uh, investigators began to look through the cc footage a TV footage from all of the shops on that road because it's a main street. Uh, so they pulled all that up and start watching all of it on Sydney Street. And they found Jill in a few of them as she was walking, which the way she was walking was the way of the apartment. So they knew that much. And then on the final camera that they found her on, which was inside of like a bridal shop. So it was technically inside the shop, but it was pointing outward. So you could mm-hmm. see in the window out on the street right uh they spotted her on that and there was another person a man was walking up near her and he was wearing a blue hoodie and what looked like sweatpants but it could have been like a light jean or something but right because it was out in the dark I couldn't tell any color but they could tell it was a blue hoodie and I couldn't tell if it was sweatpants or jeans (laughs) So this man is actually on the footage of the bridal shop a couple times that night. So this is weird. He first was walking past the bridal shop all by himself. Mm -hmm. And then he walked back again one time. And then another camera spotted him um, 
hold on. And then another camera spotted him walking past like alone again. And then he like was running on a different camera right after they spotted Jill on that camera. Okay. So it looked like he was running after her, if that makes sense. Okay. So it's like he was walking up and down the street and then all of a sudden spotted her and took off after her. Okay. Is the way that I read it when I was reading through the camera footage stuff. Um, And I watched some of the camera footage and it is, this is where it gets kind of like, okay, a little too close for comfort because I can totally see this sort of stuff happening when we used to go out, you know? Right. Um, So the times where they would, we would, people would be like, we'll just walk home. And it's like, no, there's actually a rapist. There's legitimately like last weekend and they was raped in an alley and they haven't figured out who did it. So no, you're not yeah. walking home through the alleys, people. Yeah, no, for real. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, so, I know. So they show this and then the sky running towards her. And then when you look at the footage of him approaching her on this bridal camera footage. Mm-hmm. Um, so he like walks up to her and it looks like she kind of slows down. Like he kind of walks up to her fast and obviously says something to her. And she kind of like just backs off, slows down, instantly grabs her phone out of her purse, has it in her hand and is just kind of like, you know, pleasantries. And then it looks like he walks off and she kind of just slowly starts walking again in the similar direction as him. Right. Mm -hmm. So like just giving herself some space again, one of those things that you totally you can feel it when you watch the video of the approach and right. they're like okay we're just gonna come back here I'm gonna get my phone ready just in case I need to call somebody mm-hmm. and this is the last time that she was ever seen on anything oh at all god. alive oh god mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who is Mr. Blue Hoodie is basically now where the police are at. They're like, this guy clearly was the last person to see her, if not the perpetrator of whatever happened to her. Mm -hmm. Um, So priority number one was to find him. They released the footage, well, part of the footage, you know, enough to get the idea to the Mm -hmm. public for information and kind of framed it as a he was the last one to see her. So he probably has more information rather than this guy did it, you know, cause they want him to not go into hiding and right. do whatever. So they kind of just left it as a, you know, this person was the last person to see her. If you have any information on who this is, or if they're out there, you know, reach out to us, let us know. Uh, throughout all of this time, the police have been searching the area, like scouring the streets, walking down alleys, walking through stuff, going through garbages, all of that, right? Through that whole weekend. And then the following Monday, so the day after the media gets into it, so it's only two and a half days later, um, that Monday, uh, they find Jill's purse dumped in an alley that they specifically had searched like two times through Saturday and Sunday. Hmm. So they were kind of like, okay, how did this happen? Um, so obviously they find the purse that has her like ID from the um, broadcasting service. And so they know it's hers and it's down this alley. It's Hope Street mm-hmm. alley. And it's it's just weird. They're basically just like, this is weird. So someone just dumped this because it wasn't there, hasn't been there. Right. 
the police once again turned to the public for information and a guy did come forward which they don't name him at all because he's not necessarily a suspect for anything he was like hey i found this purse this night it was basically the night she disappeared or like the Mm -hmm. day the morning or whatever right after she had disappeared i found this purse i took it and i brought it home and then i realized that this was not just a the purse got dumped in the alley and i took it it was a oh she's missing and Mm -hmm. he knew it was her because he had her id card in there so he brought it back to the alley that he had taken it out of and just threw it back in there so that it was where it was and so he came oh. forward and was like, hey, that I fucked help. up. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, I fucked up. Uh, I tried to put it back where it was. <laughs> but now they know that the purse was there that yes. night. So at least there's that. And that he came forward and was like, my bad, guys. I just was trying to steal a purse that was left in an alleyway. I wasn't trying to interrupt this girl. <laughs> interrupt a, dis- a disappearance yeah. investigation. So... Anyway, so he, it, it means that she left her handbag or her purse in this alleyway that night. Mm-hmm. So that's when they're like, okay, definitely foul play because it's got all of her stuff in it. All of her, you know, not her phone because her phone was with in her, her pocket. Yeah. But yeah, in her coat pocket because she, so they show the footage obviously of her and she's got her cute little heels on she's wearing almost all black she has a little like trench coat on for her going Mm -hmm. out night and so that her phone was in her pocket so it had everything but her phone in it and so they were like okay she still hasn't had money and there's no activity on her phone Mm -hmm. like no calls out no texts out nothing haven't opened any apps and reached the data not not a single thing so foul play is the thing that they are now focusing on for sure because before it was like yeah it could be this guy saw her whatever but maybe something happened we don't know um so they found they were able to locate her phone that night and kind of track where it went and up until about 4 30 it was pinging off of a tower that would have correlated with the street that she was on that night and then it began traveling north towards the Tula Marine, I believe is how you say it, uh, highway, freeway. And there, there is a toll point on the highway that you have to take to get to the Tula, Tula Marine mm-hmm. freeway. And at this toll point, they take pictures of every single car that drives through. Okay. So the police, I, I got to say the police, like in this specific case, cause we'll get to where they're like, okay, there's issues with the whole system Mm -hmm. but the police in this case I think did their due diligence on everything because they went through every single car owner and looked at their background that they found in this like half hour span when it would have been pinging through this area Mm -hmm. I was like good for you guys good for you good for you uh and so they went through and they found somebody who was a sex offender oh his name's Adrian Bailey. Okay. Uh, he's 41 and he has a very long history of uh, sex offenses and violence, basically. Mm. Um, so here's a little bit about the disgusting Adrian Bailey. Oh, I don't need to know. <clears throat> this is just going to be a big old list of like what he's done and how he's been punished for it. So okay. we're going to buzz through as fast as we can. 
So Adrian Bailey was born July 14th, 1971. He was the oldest of five children. He had like two sisters or three sisters and a brother. Um, He lived around Melbourne his entire life. He was a loner growing up, everybody said. He got into football and stuff like he was athletic, but he didn't really have a lot of friends. In 1989, he got married when he was 18. Uh, He also raped a 17-year-old girl around the time of being 18. And attempted to rape a 17 and a 16 year old girl as well. Ew. All of this within a few months span. And he was arrested, charged, given five years in prison. But you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think he spent five years in prison? No, I'm going to say a year. Yep. He was out within two years. So um, less than two years, I believe it was 22 months. After this, he became a pastry chef, and in 1995, uh, his wife and him divorced, so his first wife stayed with him throughout all this rape stuff. Um, They divorced, and so they had a couple kids, too, so I don't know if that was, like, she didn't know what to do. I don't know. I'm a big, like, you fucked up, I'm done, I'll figure it out, Mm -hmm. see ya, kind of gal, so it's hard for me to put myself in that shoes, but I know that it's different for everybody. Mm So they divorced, and that same year, he married another woman and had a couple more kids. So he got divorced in 95 and got remarried in 95. Um, This marriage didn't last either, and by 2002, Bailey was on the radar of the police again. For being a raper? Mm Mm-hmm. He got convicted for attacking and raping five sex workers. At the same time? um no at different times they just were reported and then they were able to put them all together because of the description and okay all of all of that stuff and same time at the same that's wow uh that's a lot (laughs) so he was taken in he was questioned and he pretty much said during his questioning that he didn't think that sex workers were worth anything and that they didn't matter so it wasn't a big deal that he raped him and he basically was like i'm not getting any sex at home so i went to find it (sighs) chop his dick off chop it off yeah that's what i'm saying forced yeah it's consensual is a big thing what's the word forced um castration yep chemical castration there we go just fucking chop his dick off he was convicted of these rapes and he was only given 11 years after after it already <sighs> having a history which dr- drives me bananas listen if you can't stop sticking in things you're not supposed to stick it in we're gonna chop it off not to mention it was a minimum of eight years so he at eight years in prison he was paroled and in 2010 in march of 2010 is when he came out and he just went back to life as usual fucking fuck and just yeah so he's still on parole and in 2011 he starts this new relationship and this was the they believe the girlfriend that was with him at the bar i haven't talked about that quite yet but his story of that night he was at a bar with his girlfriend and that kind of was the catalyst for his evening of rage um so before that in August of 2011, he breached his parole when he was out in a night at night and attacked a 21 year old like guy 
broke his fucking jaw. Jesus. Like it wasn't just a little fist fight. It was like he beat the shit out of this guy. Calm down, you little rage monster. So for that, for breaking his parole, he was arrested again and charged charged to serve three months for it but he appealed this charge and the board gave him bail until they were able to do the new trial for it so he made bail and he was out on bail during the time that jill went missing Uh uh-huh so now (laughs) to find this man is what the police are now we're up to speed Mm -hmm. you know now to find this adrian bailey guy and figure out like why what why his car was over there if he knew anything um he only lived about six minutes away from brunswick and so he was brought in for questioning he was easily like found and brought in um he basically denied anything and everything um that he had seen her on the news but that was it But what he didn't know is that during this time of questioning, the police were also looking at Jill's looking, like searching his stuff. And they had found Jill's SIM card from her cell phone in his laundry. Like he threw it in his pocket of his jeans or whatever. Uh, Yeah. So so they have a definitive. Gotcha, bitch. Yeah. He knew her um, type of thing. So. They also found the blue hoodie that matched the one in the cameras. Uh, he kept denying it. And the police kind of were confident that he would just like give it, give in and confess because that's kind of what he has done with all the other times he's been brought into question is mm-hmm. after, after a chunk Breaks of time, all like of a, a sudden, little bitch. Yeah. All of a sudden he'll be like, oh, okay, this, and then just explains everything. Mm-hmm. So they did question him for like seven hours. Okay. And that's when he, broke and admitted that he was the abductor and the killer of jill oh no so i know i started saying this is the murder of her so it's not like a surprise but i forgot about that part yeah so she's not alive yeah she's not alive um so here's his story from the night this is when we understand the girlfriend thing i'm so excited i know it's another really long bullet (laughs) So he was out drinking that Friday night, also with some coworkers, he said. Uh, they met up with his girlfriend later in the evening, but with drink comes truth is what I wrote. And the girlfriend, mm-hmm. they started arguing because the girlfriend was like, uh, you're too controlling and jealous and, you know, you need to just back off. I'm sure something happened and he freaked out about something stupid and she mm-hmm. was just like, No. And so she left on her own and went home uh, because she's like, I'm just over it. I'm going to go home. He tried to message her and call her and she didn't respond at all. And he got fucking pissed. Um, Eventually, he said that he just started stomping around the streets. And I just call this an adult tantrum. Yeah, I just started tantrum. Yeah. So he started trying to cool down, walking around the streets, he said. uh, And he saw Jill walking home. He he said that he approached her, Mr. Blue Hoodie. He approached her and started talking to her. He's like, I was being friendly and she was being friendly back. And then all of a sudden she started being mean and rude. This is where I'm like, 
okay, so he wasn't catching a hint. She was trying to friendly say like, okay, leave me alone. Yeah, I'm just going home. No, I'm not interested. You know, ha 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 ha. And then she had to be like, dude, just get out of here. Leave me alone. Yeah, I'm done. Um, again, another moment when I'm like, I see this happening because mm-hmm. it has happened. Never come to this conclusion, but it has happened. Um, Adrian then snapped and either grabbed Jill and dragged her into that alley where her purse was found, or she was walking through the alley to cut through to get to her, which, um, hi, I've been a girl walking home. I would never just walk through an alley if a guy approached me and wasn't leaving me alone. Right. No. So he dragged her into the alley. This is, but he kind of was fuzzy about exactly what happened when he would tell his story. Um, And that's where her purse was dropped. And then it's kind of like, oh, something happened and whatever it was, he strangled her (gasps) in the alley. And then he said that he left Jill there in the alley, went home, like had to run home because he hadn't driven, got his car and a shovel, came back, picked up her body, put it in the trunk, drove her to the Gisborne South, um, which is about 30 minutes away towards that freeway Mm -hmm. um and basically buried her in a shallow grave off of a secluded road there he's not sure what secluded road because he just turned off onto one of the like side roads and found a spot and so they don't know where her body is no they do they find it eventually but he didn't it was it was a whole thing when he had to bring them out because they he couldn't remember which one it was he's like it was dark i was drunk and I'm not sure. Um, Anyway, so Bailey, then later on Saturday, so the day after he had done all that, later on Saturday, he said that he got his car cleaned. And then Monday, he got four new tires in case he left tire tracks. So he's trying to cover up his everything Mm -hmm. to do with it. He, so he's confessed. The police now need to find Jill's body, like we were just talking about. Uh, They bring Bailey in a police car and they go looking for her. Like I said, trouble finding it. It was dark. He's like, I just pulled off and did it. I didn't really pay attention to what road I was on. They do find her though. And she really is like buried in an extremely shallow grave, like like a foot deep. It says 35 uh, centimeters, which is like, just over 13 inches so just enough to basically get her body in there and then cover it with dirt Mm. um so on september 27th of 2012 is when they found her body so it was just under a week since she went missing uh jill was nude from the waist down (gasps) and after the autopsy was done it was found that she had been raped uh most likely more than once by bailey but he just neglected to mention that during his story so they don't know if she was alive or dead when he raped her they don't know i because they said most likely more than once i'm assuming that while he was strangling her it happened and then maybe her body when they were in a secluded area again so i'm not sure this is just me assuming because of how they worded it and everything that i was reading that it was multiple times and they were able to tell and I feel like the best way to be able to tell is if it's post-mortem and pre-mortem you know so Adrian Bailey was charged with Jill's murder obviously 
Um, the public was disgusted that Adrian Bailey was even out and around to be able to do this. Uh, not only were they disgusted that it happened, but the fact that he had such a obvious history, he was a sex offender that was just kind of able to go out, even though he was on bail when this happened mm -hmm. for breaking a man's jaw. Ugh. Like that's a violent, very violent thing. Like how did you get bail even in the first place that mm -hmm. was, you know, payable by a normal person? Uh, Bailey had a plea hearing March of 2013 about Jill's murder. He pleaded guilty on rape, but not murder at first. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how he thought he was going to get out of that considering he confessed, brought them to the body and all of the evidence that's with it, but whatever. Uh, he did change it back to he pleaded guilty for murder too because he's just stupid. Uh, he was sentenced on June 19th of 2013, life in prison with a minimum of 35 years. Uh, after seeing his face, uh, like three women, well, multiple women, but three women specifically came forward with their own stories about being assaulted by Bailey and he was charged and convicted of all three and got an additional 18 years in prison on top of his life in prison. Mm -hmm. um, he did appeal in 2016, one of the charges saying that there wasn't enough evidence saying that it was him. And he did win that and it got reduced to 15 more years instead of 18, but still it's like stick him for everything you can. Cause this mm -hmm. fucker, he's so, Oh, I'm pretty sure he was wearing an affliction shirt in the of course he was in the picture I saw of him. I bet you yeah. kick a lot of ass. But you kick a lot of ass. <laughs> so how did this happen? Uh he clearly was a problem and still was out free on bail. Like that's wild. So the public held a protest because of this. Thirty thousand fucking people walked down Sydney Street where Jill was murdered mm. um as a basically sign of support for her and change in the system and figuring out better bail and parole mm -hmm. laws because clearly it was just too loosey-goosey right um and it worked i mean they definitely made a difference they tightened up the um criteria to be able to be considered whether or not you are a uh threat to society whether or not you need to basically everything kind of tightened up they adjusted some laws so that it would make it harder to go out on parole when you mm -hmm. have a history already um and the public it's not necessarily like the legal name of it but the public calls all these different laws that changed and shifted into Jill's legacy that's what they call it uh -huh. um but it was very, and she's so, she's so much like, she looks like us back in like 2010. And this was like mm -hmm. 2012. So it was about very similar times to when we were going out and mm -hmm. being dumb. And so it was very making poor life choices. Oh my gosh. It was one of those things that it just, as the more I read about it, the more I was just like, oh my God, we could have died. All of us could uh, have died. You mean like that one time when it was 60 below and we didn't wear winter jackets and we, and so we just took a ride. And some dude in a van just pulled up and gave us a ride home. Uh-huh. And offered to make us pancakes. And we're like, no, dude, that's fine. Here's $20. Thanks for the ride. Bye. And then we got out and made sure all the windows and doors were locked in our apartment. Uh -huh. <laughs> the apartment. Uh-huh. 
no exactly and that's where that's what I, it was one of those it just hit very close to home for me mm-hmm. and then the fact that this guy was just out and about and not being monitored in any way like what what how are you not on bail and then just on like house arrest where you can't leave your house what <laughs> yeah no I'm not it was just very it was one that I didn't think would get me as much but again it just did and I have I think that's partially why I've been having dreams and stuff mm-hmm. for whatever reason it swarmed its way into my psyche but that's the sad shouldn't have happened story of Jill Mayer's murder so mm-hmm. she's She's a beautiful, let me just, hold on. I'm such a visual human. I'm like, let me just show you a picture. You'll be like, hey, that's kind of how you used to dress when we used to go out, Amanda. (laughs) Like, yeah, I know it's me, but dead. Okay, I'm sorry. That was terrible. Anyway, I'm just moving past that. Yeah, it's me, but dead. (gasps) Okay, it's not affliction, but it looks like affliction shirt. Fucking Adrian nasty ass. Here it's a side by side. That is that. And, Why is his shirt tucked into his pants so tightly? I don't. Calm really down, know. calm down, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's he's something else. He just needs to go away and die. I don't like it. But it was a terrible story. I know. I know. See, it doesn't. Know. Don't you just make your? Doesn't it make uh, your tummy hurt? Because <laughs> it just is so. I could see it happening mm-hmm. and I can't unfeel that feeling of like oh my gosh because I would get nervous anyway and then this was just a story of like see see guys this is why I was such a nervous Nelly all the time when we'd walk home and mm-hmm. I'd walk in the middle of the street so I wasn't close I to any of the bushes refuse to walk home it's like nope um, we're taking a cab I'll pay for the cab I'm not walking right. home I will and I would walk home but I'd be like, no, we're walking in the street as we walk mm-hmm. home. We are not walking right next to the bushes and around the corners where people could just be there. Mm-hmm. Where I want a little time to be able to deck somebody in the face if I need to. <laughs> I'm not getting grabbed from behind. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's it. That's all I got. And I want to like wash it from my brain for a little bit because, man, you it's so weird watch, that this, huh? Go ahead. You want to watch a show that'll fuck your brain? Watch. Is it that? that one you were just talking about no you should watch um on discovery plus undercover underage oh i watched that already oh god i'm watching that gave me nightmares i'm like that's so fucking gross and creepy well it's and it's so there's so many of them too they Mm -hmm. have that whole team that's talking to people that are talking to their underage personas yeah gross yeah that'll fuck your brain watch that if you want if you want to (laughs) watch something that'll fuck your brain children of the cult on discovery plus oh no watch that yeah <laughs> that too got me because i was like oh it's like all of the legal battles after and the fact that it was still happening up until like almost the late 90s instead mm-hmm. of when they said that everything was done in 86 mm-hmm. uh-huh. I, I just want to save all of you i'm sorry i'm sorry That's all right, right. We, should, we should end our podcast with that from now on just you want to watch a show that'll fuck your brain <laughs> Yeah, just throw out different docu-series and documentaries and weird things. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe if you're looking for something. Oh, boy. Well, well that's thanks all. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. You the best. Spread the word. Spread your damn selves. I can't make a dirty joke after this episode. No. Nope. Nope. You just can't. 
It's just mm-mm. Mm-mm. so uh good no, luck. Ma'am. Be, hey, be safe and be vigilant. Be aware of your surroundings. If you're young and going out and doing things, don't just stare at your phone when you're walking around. Mm-mm. Be aware and always have a buddy. Always have a buddy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a buddy physically there right now, make sure you're calling somebody. Be on the phone, talking mm-hmm. on speakerphone so everyone can fucking hear you're actually on the phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And have your keys in your hand and your phone in your hand so you're ready to just jab, jab, and call. And never go to a second location. You're going to die. Yeah. It's just, you'd rather, it's, you have to think about it. Would I rather die here or would I rather die after being raped in a basement for days? I'm going to die here. Yeah. No. And it's just as much as it's like, you know, we try to make light of things and, you know, whatever. It's a very serious thing. Be aware. Yeah. People are creepy. People are terrible. Not all people. Most people. You don't know. So that's why you need to be aware. You don't know. You don't know. And a buddy that you know. Okay. Let's just put that out there don't when I say pick a, buddy. a random buddy from the bar. That's, I just listened to a thing. You should always leave with the people you came with. Maybe I'll do that story next week. You should always leave with the people you came with. Yes. Tom, Tom. It's my dad's number one rule for being our sober cab. You're always, you always go home with the man that brought you. (laughs) I will always sober cab you, but you always have to come home with the man who brought you to the bar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tom, Tom, what a good guy. Tom, Tom, 101 for sober driving. All right, people. Love you. Thanks for everything. See you later. I don't know why I'm holding up the peace sign, but you know, it's not a visual platform, but deuces. Peace out, homies. Bye. Peace, love, and harmony. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>